0: Welcome to Wehab, your recovery community. I'm Dr. Terry, a clinical psychologist working in the field of addiction. My name's Gary. I'm an addict and founder of Recovery Quest. My name's Howard, grateful
1: alcoholic and founder of A Rehab. We're here to answer your questions and discuss your topics on addiction and more importantly, Recovery.
0: Welcome to another edition of WeHab, Your Recovery Community. It's Dr. Terry, Howard and Gary here. And today we're talking about a really important topic and one that's really timely as we move towards New Year's Eve. And it's a topic that I've called Attending Social Engagement Safely. Uh, but Gary, I much prefer your title, which is, when is it safe to party?
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, hi guys. By the way, here with you all, as always. Yeah, I mean there's that question, isn't there? Like what, what's life going to be like in recovery? We touched on it in a different episode is, is life boring in recovery? And one of those questions is like, you know, can I ever go to a nightclub again? Can I ever go to a party again? Will I be able to stay sober or are those environments too dangerous for me? So yeah, looking forward to opening up that question, you know, can it become safe to do that in recovery? And then, yeah, let's get into some, some of our experiences or tips and tricks as to, uh, you know, how you can go and do that safely. Yeah. And I think that'd be a really
0: nice place to start is to ask you two, what was your experience like? So was this something that you struggled with initially and then over time you became more comfortable with it? Or is it still something that you struggle with attending social sort of events where other people might be drinking or using substances?
1: Yeah, um, it's a good question. And to be honest, it's something I still check with myself regularly. I mean, I've partied, literally around the world. I've been to snowboarding festivals. I've been to festivals in the UK. I've been to New Year's Eve parties. I've been to London and watched the fireworks go off on New Year's Eve. And I've partied in a World Cup in Brazil, which was pretty surreal. Partied on Pan, I can't remember the name of it, Pao a Mountain. It's a little mountain you have to reach out at a cable car. I remember watching a Brazil football match with about 2,000 Brazilians partying and covered in beer. Every time they score, they love to chuck their beers up in the air, which is a bit interesting. But I'm an alcoholic. I didn't melt and I didn't relapse. So <laughs> there is, you know, there is signs it's good to party if, if you check yourself and you're safe, which are some of the things we're going to go through in a minute.
0: And Howard, how how soon was that in your recovery that you were at that sort of event where people were obviously really high spirits and, and chucking beer everywhere?
1: I probably did that a year in, but it's important to note that everyone's recovery is different. Everyone's drinking and using's different. One thing I wouldn't advise, but I did, was very early on, I was quite young, I was still going to the pub with my friends. All my Some of my best mates still went to the pub, so pretty early on. I was still doing that, but that wasn't a trigger for me. The last two years of my drinking were at home, boring, by myself, lonely. So, you know, the pub wasn't a trigger for me, whereas I've got good friends who say just the smell, the fear, the atmosphere of the pub, even today, years later, can be very triggering for them. So a key thing is, what is it like for you? I can tell you what it's like for me, but that might not save you. What is it like
2: for you? yeah. Yeah, that's that's very true, Howard. It's, it's going to be different for everybody. I know that for me, the the smell of the pub, the smell of the pub toilets, where I used to consume a lot of cocaine, like those things, those things would be triggering when I when I was first back in those environments. I noticed them immediately, and you know, I've heard it said before that as addicts and alcoholics, we have portals that we can go through and things that can take us back through those portals like music, sense, certain emotional experiences. And uh, I have had experiences in recovery where they've kind of transported me on some level back to my state or my feeling before recovery. Uh, So uh, yeah, yeah, and those environments can do that. And the the first thing that comes to mind for me on this topic is like, can we, can we ever get to this place where we can put ourselves into these environments and, and be safe, not, not just be safe, but also enjoy the experience as well. But first and foremost, be safe. And the program that I work for my recovery does promise that at some point I'll be able to go anywhere safe and protected from the obsession to use or drink. And for sure, that's been my experience. If I had tried to get and remain sober just on willpower and white knuckling and fighting that obsession every day, then I imagine the answer would be no, that I, I could never safely rely upon myself going back into those environments. So I'm super grateful for the, the path of recovery and the tools of recovery and the approach that's been shared with me and that I've been able to follow because it has removed that obsession. And I am able to go to these places. I, it, you know, it's nice. The first, the first time I'm, I'm there, super pleased with myself and fully noticing that I'm not wanting to drink or ordering a drink and feeling super proud of myself. And then I remember feeling really proud the time when I'd been sat in a pub for, for like an hour and I hadn't even thought about or acknowledged the fact that I didn't want to drink. And like it, it, so it showed that kind of evolution but it is a journey it's interesting to hear you that Howard say it was about a year before you started engaging in those things for me it was yeah probably not far off that I mean I kind of eased myself into it, it was a year and a half before I put myself in what would have been potentially a, a really dangerous situation I can share what I did to prepare for that situation and throughout that situation yeah so it's totally unique to each individual i'd say it depends how much has your condition been remedied by that point like the the emotional spiritual physical psychological challenges that led to you being addicted to drugs and alcohol how much work have you done to be able to relieve the symptoms of those because if they're still extremely prevalent then you put yourself back in those environments and there's a good chance it's going to go wrong
0: I hear what you're saying. So it seems like you're both saying before you start to think about how do I get through social events, how do I party safely. First of all, to ask yourself, um, am I ready? Do I do I feel settled and comfortable in my recovery to put myself in a position that might be a bit more risky for me? For some of the reasons you've already explained, some of the the cues and triggers you might experience, the smells, the sounds, the, the feeling.
1: Yeah, and you can you know how do you know when you're ready? Well, you can safely safeguard a lot and prepare yourself one thing I always did was just tell people I was going with what it was like most of the people I did these kind of things with were my good mates and to be honest they weren't wouldn't let me drink even if I was gonna pick up a drink if they'd see me with a drink they'd smash it out of my hand even though they were there drinking and give me more of a telling off than anyone else I know you know I when I, went, I I told these people what it was like. I told people I couldn't drink. They knew to look after me. They knew to keep me safe. I made my environment as safe as it could be. You know, that that for me is key. Safeguarding, like you've always spoke about in the rehab, Terry. Safeguarding, safeguarding, keeping ourselves safe, keeping clients safe, keeping each other safe. What can I do to safeguard this situation? Mm-hmm. Then maybe that just gives me this confidence to more of a confidence to know when I'm ready because I know I'm not just reliant on me. I'm reliant on other people. I'm reliant on other sources. I'm reliant on something greater than me, you know, a collective Mm. strength, if you will.
0: Yeah, I like this idea of of safeguarding and um, it makes me think back to what you said earlier, that everybody's journey is different. But when we look at some of the statistics about addiction and recovery and relapse, what we know is that most people who are going to relapse, relapse in that first year of their recovery. So the stats are something, the stats seem to suggest around two-thirds of people that relapse relapse in that first year. And as you move into your recovery, by the time you get to year five, that drops really significantly to around 14 or 15%. So I, I suppose the first question that comes under this safeguarding umbrella is one that you mentioned, Gary, is, am, am I ready for this? Is, is the timing right for me? Do I Does this feel safe for me? am I prepared to take this
2: risk? Am I ready to take this risk? Mm -hmm. And I hope actually that something that comes out of this conversation is a bit of inspiration for people to really invest in their recovery. And, you know, not just the, the thing of trying to stay sober, but investing in in dealing with kind of the spiritual and the emotional and psychological things that sit behind that because if we do that then we you know the the world is wide open to us like the the experience that I was talking about a year and a half that was would potentially have been very dangerous for me I had a I had a mirror image of an experience that I had maybe 12 months before I got sober or, or a bit longer, which was going to Ibiza. It was a friend getting married. We're there on his, his stag door, his bachelor party. We went to amnesia for the, for the main night of our trip. We had this kind of VIP balcony area. Chase and status were playing. And for me, that first time before I got into recovery... That was a sanctuary getting over there because my life was just crashing and burning and I was compulsively using cocaine every hour of every day back in London and feeling like an absolute scumbag for doing it. Take that same person to Ibiza and suddenly he feels a bit more settled and a bit more like everyone else (laughs) because there's a lot of stuff going on in Ibiza. So that was a sanctuary for me to be there and I had an absolutely incredible night. I I did. It It was phenomenal. So then fast forward maybe three years from then, I'm a year and a half sober And another friend is going to Ibiza for a stag do. And as it turned out, we went to amnesia. We got that same balcony and Chase and Status were playing again. So, And it was the same group of friends. So literally, it was a a, a mirror image of the previous time, except this time I'm in recovery. I'm a year and a half sober and I'm committed to staying sober. And I had, if anything, that night was better than when I was in active addiction. It was phenomenal. The, the natural hire that I, I tapped into that night was incredible. I had zero temptation to use drugs, zero temptation to drink alcohol. I had the most amazing connected experience that night. Ever. but I worked hard to make sure that I'd be safe to do that I, I consulted with other people before I even accepted the opportunity to go there I invested so hard in my recovery in the month and and the days before I left on that trip so that I could be in the best emotional and spiritual and psychological condition possible before I went and the day before I traveled I spent the whole day with somebody else in recovery working with them on their program you know, we, we, we keep what we have by giving it away. That's what I've been taught. I knew if I spent the whole day before I go working with somebody else on his recovery, it's going to help my emotional and spiritual condition and give me the best chance when I go away. When I go away, make sure I've always got my phone on me. Some of the other things that we're going to, we're, we're going to talk about. I was still working my program whilst I was away. I was getting up doing the things that were suggested. I went to a meeting sitting on the beach in Ibiza with the sun bouncing off the ocean, connected with a, a you know, a bunch of addicts. Uh, That I'd never met before it was absolutely beautiful so yeah I mean these things are possible but it's truly my belief that really they're only possible to do safely if we really invest in our recovery and actually trying to deal with the psychological underpinnings of our recovery if I had gone to try and do that just staying sober on willpower alone there's no way I was walking out of amnesia sober
0: yeah, sure, and that, that 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 ties into a question that I was thinking as you were talking. So, working on the the, the psychological, the emotional, the relational underpinnings of addiction mm-hmm. takes time. W- what if that invitation had come up, say, three months into your recovery or six months into your recovery? Do you think you would have been able to? Just you wouldn't wouldn't have felt ready.
2: Mm-hmm. No way, no way. I I've got a recollection of where I was in my recovery at that time and I've got an awareness of the things that I did in between, say, three months into my recovery and a year and a half into my recovery. And so much more armor and protection was added to me in that time that, yeah, I, there, there's no way that I would have been ready in three months. Okay. So
0: it sounds like what you're both saying is that it's, it's been for you to absolutely possible to to party and to be around potential triggers in your recovery but the first thing to think about is when you're ready for that, when the time is right, when, as you are saying, Gary, when you feel settled in your recovery and you've, you've had a chance to start to address some of the underpinnings of the addiction in the first place, shall we move on to start thinking about tips and, and reflections that might help people who are in recovery as they, um, as they start to think about uh, attending social engagements?
1: Yeah, sounds good to me. Yeah, I think we've got uh, six tips And tricks for how to cope with social events in recovery. Gary, do you want to kick us off?
2: Okay, yeah. So number one, ask if you truly think you're ready. And with that, maybe don't just ask yourself, ask some other people, you know, hopefully at this point, certainly if you're you're far far enough into your recovery to be considering going to a, a New Year's Eve party where lots of people are going to be drinking or any of these kind of engagements, you've got some people around you that you can confide in, you can ask questions who have an idea of where you're at in your recovery. So ask yourself and ideally ask other people, do you truly think you're ready? Because here's the thing, If you're able to maintain your recovery and continue growing in your recovery, you have the rest of your life ahead of you to be able to engage in parties, go on holidays, hang out at a beach party, you know, engage in all of these social interactions. You have the rest of your life ahead of you. There's no need to rush it. There's no need to rush it. So don't feel pressured to attend. Ask yourself truly if you feel ready and only attend if you absolutely believe you can. And if you do, then it'd be a good idea to to pay attention to some of the tips that follow as well as to how to do it safely. So number two, connect closely with your recovery. Like I touched on then about my experience in Ibiza, connect as closely with your recovery as you can as possible. My mantra, certainly in in the treatment stage of my recovery and my early recovery, was not to be complacent. And certainly if you're walking into your first kind of party, first drinking environment in recovery, then not being complacent about it and being real about the fact that there is a very real risk associated with what you're doing and you need to plan carefully to do it. So in order to give yourself the best chance, connect as closely with your recovery as you can at all. If you're attached to a recovery community and there's a meeting that you can attend earlier that day or the night before, get to it. Speak to some people who are in recovery and, you know, check in with them, see how they're getting on and get connected on that level with people. Whatever's suggested in your in your program of recovery, for most people, they'll have things that they do on a, on a daily basis to nurture and grow in their recovery. You know, just because it's New Year's Eve and you've got to get ready and, and get your best dress on to get out for the party. Don't cut that stuff out. It's, it's the most important time to be doing it.
1: Yeah, and tip number three, get some people prepped are you going with some people let some people in recovery or good friends know in advance nip out and call them on the night if you need you know if you can't take them with you you can take your phone with you i'm sure you can call someone or borrow a phone borrow a friend write down their number if you have to often a person who is not in the same situation can see it much clearer and help you diffuse a situation so if you're struggling with a situation pick up a phone And why not flip it over like Gary said earlier, give it away to keep it? Why not call someone else you know is struggling or unhappy? doesn't have to be someone in recovery. Sometimes there is nothing better for taking you out of yourself, your worries and your problems than trying to help someone else. Which brings me on to point two, being as honest as you can. And this won't fit for everyone fits very well for me. It was something I did very well in early days. But tell people what's going on. Are there people at the event you can confide in? Is there just one person? Can you take someone who knows your situation about your drinking or your drug taking? Can you bring someone with you that's doing the same as you? No. Can you tell the people there what's going on, even if They drink themselves because you never know. They may tone down their drinking or behavior for you. They may be conscientious about your feelings, which can sometimes equally be annoying, but it's better they're looking out for you than they're not looking out for you. They may avoid drinking for the day altogether. I've gone out with a lot of normal people who can actually go out without drinking. For me, it still baffles me eight years on because that's not the way I'm wired, but that's them. And you know what? Sometimes there's always peace, just knowing that people have an idea of what might be worrying you or what might be going through your head. So be as honest as you
0: can. Yeah, I really like these. Thanks, guys. And number five is about checking in with yourself. So one of the big parts of uh, for treatment in in uh, as part of treatment programs for for addiction is about emotional awareness. It's being about it's being aware of what's coming up for you because the more aware of how you're feeling, the better you are to be able to take actions to take care of yourself. And whenever we talk about emotional awareness in in treatment settings, we talk about the different layers of the brain. And I'm not going to go into this in too much depth because I know that it fascinates me, but not necessarily everyone. But sometimes it's helpful to think about two main layers, the, the, the sort of thinking brain, the outer layer of our brain, the bit that helps us to plan and to inhibit and to think about the consequences of our action. And the deeper parts of our brain, the sort of deeper, older, more primitive parts of our brain concerned with things like emotions and threat. Now, the more uncomfortable we are, the more tense we feel, the more stressed or anxious or the more we experience longing or frustration, the more strongly activated the emotional brain is. And then it's harder for the thinking brain, the the cortex, the frontal lobe, to stay in control. And a really nice way of understanding this, I think, there's a uh, a book by Bessel van der Kolk called um, When the, the Body Keeps the Score, so he talks about this as the interplay between the horse rider and the horse. So when the weather is calm, the path is smooth, and the rider is in control. But when the horse is spooked, maybe there's an unexpected sound or there's another animal, the horse bolts and the rider clings on. And you, you can think about the thinking brain and the emotional brain in this way. And so when the conditions are calm... Then the horse rider is in control, so the thinking brain 's in control. but when the the horse is spooked, and so in this case, if we 're feeling some sort of strong emotion, then the emotional brain becomes more in control. So my tip number five is to really check in with yourself how you 're feeling, how am I coping with this, am I starting to notice that i 'm feeling tense or frustrated or anxious? Because that then empowers you to take the actions that you might need to to take care of yourself. And that ties into point number six, which is thinking about how you're going to cope. If you do struggle for whatever reason, what's going to help you during the event? So that might be, as you guys have said, that might be reaching out and speaking to someone. That might be taking a break and getting some fresh air. That might be doing some breathing strategies, breathing exercises, if that's what helps you. Or it might also include thinking about an exit plan. If I'm really struggling and I need to leave the situation, it's helpful. It might be helpful to prepare in advance. What am I going to do? Because you'd be in a difficult position if you, if you felt like you needed to leave the event, but you were dependent on waiting for someone else, first of all, to give you a lift home, for example. So tip number six is prepare, thinking about how you're going to cope during the event. And if you need to leave, how are you going to
2: leave? Yeah, Terry, that, that, that last point is so important. And I love that analogy, by the way, with the, the horse, um, because it, it really can be like that as well. And I've, I've had experiences of that kind where the horse seemed to take control for a moment. And it was only by having the right things in place and being able to talk to the right people in that moment that I was able to, to get that horse back under control. So yeah, thanks for sharing that. And this idea of having an exit plan in place and a solid exit plan, like, Make sure your mobile phone's charged so that if you go there and you do need to ring someone, you can. Ideally, prime some people before you go to tell them, I may have to leave. Like, if, I, if I'm not feeling great, I might have to leave. If they know that you're in recovery, that's hopefully going to be an easy conversation to have. If they don't, you can say whatever you need to, to to kind of clear the way for you to leave because if we're in a social engagement and, you know, everyone's there for New Year especially where no one's leaving before midnight... And suddenly you want to leave at eight o'clock. You might find a lot of social pressure to stay. If you've been able to say to people beforehand, listen, if it gets a bit on top, I'm going to leave, then it's going to be much easier to do so. And then like you said, Terry, how are you going to leave? Are you driving there? If you are driving there, are you taking other people? If you leave early, is it going to be okay with them? Like how are they then going to get home? Consider all of these things. Leave nothing unchecked so that if you need to leave, it's going to be as easy as possible and you're going to have everything that you need to be able to do it.
0: Yeah, thanks for saying that, Gary, about the, the horse and rider illustration, because I felt like I was waffling as I was talking about it. But I suppose the the main point is that the more charged the feeling is, the more charged the emotion is, the harder it is for us, our, our sort of thinking brain to be in control. And so often w- what happens for people, with people with really sincere motives might put themselves in a situation and unexpectedly feel the sort of the force of the emotion, and then that, that means this sort of deeper part of the brain which is where our addiction circuitry lies that bit is more in control then a friend of mine in recovery said to me once that one of the the big reflections for him has been that calmness is the antidote to his addiction so if he can maintain calmness and he can feel settled then he feels really empowered over his addiction but when he starts to feel agitated in whatever form then he notices that he starts to struggle a little bit
2: yeah right and that can be excitement or pain and frustration or you know victory or loss it can be any of those things kind of
1: yeah definitely and i'd just like to touch on the point you said gary about making sure people are happy with you leaving when i used to go out i used to quite often be the designated driver i mean in sobriety and i used to tell people look i'll give you a lift there but i leave when i want to leave if you're coming with me you're coming with me if not you know can't tell you when I need to leave if I need to leave early because I'm not feeling great with the situation I will leave I give you a lift home then or if you don't you can get a taxi home you know be prepared to leave without me if you need to I give you a lift there for free not gonna charge you I give you a lift home for free you know but I leave on my terms if I need to
2: Perfect. Yeah, so, so the key point being that you've had that conversation, even if it might be slightly uncomfortable to have that conversation with people, you've had it in advance. So you're not under any pressure to stay there if you make that decision to leave. And in terms of making the decision to leave, like we said earlier, you've got the rest of your life ahead of you to be able to engage in social engagements. Often, you know, the the, the the trickery of addiction and alcoholism is that sometimes we've crossed that line before we realise it. So being prepared to leave, even if things are just feeling a little bit off center, you're feeling a little bit uncomfortable, you know, be prepared to ask yourself whether you just want to leave then and avoid any risk. And you can go back the next time to the next social engagement, you know, as long as you don't pick up that drink and drug, then you're going to have more opportunities to go and do it. You're going to find yourself getting more comfortable. You know, but if we push it, if we cross that line without realizing it and the anxiety is built up or the the kind of social pressure to drink or find yourself looking at other people's drinks envious, then it's probably time to, to consider whether you want to make a move. Sounds like really solid advice.
1: Right. So thanks, guys. Thanks for hearing our tips and tricks on surviving social functions. We've obviously recorded this with New Year's Eve in mind. So please, please, please have a safe New Year's Eve and we really hope you have a good one. But as Gary said, above all else, make sure it's safe. Live to fight another New Year's Eve because if you do, there'll be much more on offer than just a New Year's Eve for you. So I'm Howard. You've been here with
0: Terry and Gary. Stay safe and stay humble, people thanks Howard and thanks everyone for listening and please don't hesitate to get in touch with us if um, if you have questions about this
2: podcast episode or you have suggestions for other topics we'll be we'll be happy to hear that yeah for sure yeah thanks everyone I hope you enjoy the remainder of 2020 and 2021 is going to be a magical year